0: Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, if you'd like to turn there in one of the Pew Bibles, that's on page 448. So again, from Psalm chapter 1, please listen to the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever.
1: Amen. Let's pray together as we approach God's word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who has spoken. Um, You are a God who has given us your very Word and revealed yourself to us. And Father, we pray that we would hear your voice with certain confidence this morning to, to realize that the same God who spoke and called into being all there is, the same God who, when he walked the face of this earth, spoke to the blind, and they received their sight, to the deaf, and they were made to hear, to the lame, and they were made to walk, the very one who spoke into the tombs themselves and raised the dead to life, Father, we pray that we would hear that same voice this morning, that you would open our ears and you would open our hearts, that we might respond to the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ, for it's in his name that we pray, amen. Please be seated. And children ages three to first grade, you're dismissed to Children's Church. If you make your way to the back of the sanctuary, you'll be taken to your class. <coughs> if you've been with us for the past few months, it might feel a little weird uh, that we opened up the Psalms this morning because we've been in Genesis for some time now. We've been going through Genesis and. We're going to take a break for a few weeks, and we're going to do a short series um, through the book of Psalms, or through the first portion of the book of Psalms. Um, and this is actually, it's hard for me to believe, but this is actually going to be our, our little summer series through May, June, and July. It's hard to believe that summer is fast uh, approaching. But um, So we're starting with Psalm 1, because where do you start? You have to start at Psalm 1. Uh, Psalm 1 is an introduction to all 150 psalms. Um, And as the entrance to the book of Psalms, this psalm in particular is saying to us this morning that the main thing for you to figure out in this life is if you are blessed, if you are the blessed man, the blessed woman that's mentioned in this psalm. Uh, That's the first word of this psalm, and it's a word that, you know, could also be translated happy, but not, it's not talking here about a fleeting, temporary happiness, momentary happiness that's based on favorable circumstances in your life, right? What it's talking about here is real, solid, objective, true happiness, um, true and ultimate fulfillment, deep and abiding joy is what it's talking about. And Psalm 1 is really saying, it's saying, the search and the hunger And the thirst for this kind of happiness, it is the deep thing that is driving you in all of life. And until you get this, nothing else matters. the band U2 is touring right now, if you didn't know, um, and that tour is celebrating the 30th anniversary of their album, one of the greatest albums of all time, I think, uh, Joshua Tree. Uh, you know, one of my little, uh, you know, my trump cards that I get to lay down every time, what's your favorite concert you've ever been to? I say, I, I saw U2 live. Um, so, they're awesome. One of their songs on This album that they're celebrating, Joshua Tree, one of the songs is called I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, right? And some of you know that song. You've heard it before, I'm sure. And Bono sings, I've climbed the highest mountains, I've run through the fields only to be with you, I've run, I've crawled, I've scaled these city walls only to be with you, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I've kissed honey lips, felt healing in the fingertips. It burned like fire. I've spoke with the tongues of angels, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And here's what Bono is singing about in this song. He's singing about the hunger and thirst for this deep and true happiness of Psalm 1, right? But he's also saying in that song, he's saying the deepest desires and hopes of his heart, they cannot be found in this world. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. C.S. Lewis, he famously wrote um, that we're not born with desires unless, unless satisfaction for those desires exists. And so he says a baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. Right? A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. And then he says this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Right? After… NFL quarterback Tom Brady, after he won his third Super Bowl championship, right? He was interviewed on 60 Minutes, and he had fame, and he had fortune, and he had success, and he had atri- achieved all his goals and all his dreams. And he said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? He says, I reached my goal, my dream, my life, and I think, God, it's got to be more than this. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know, all of this could turn us cynical, and it has turned a lot of people cynical uh, in, in our world. But Psalm 1 is really pushing back against that cynicism with great news, wonderful news. Because it's saying that this deep desire for true happiness, that nothing in this world can satisfy, it actually can be found and it can be had. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. Three points. You find this true happiness first when you are nourished by a source outside of you. Uh, And then second, you find this true happiness when you're captivated by a story of ultimate beauty. And then third and finally, you find this true happiness by making a choice in life. Okay, first, you find this happiness when you're nourished by a source outside of you. Um, I'm going to actually... The sermon is front loaded. Most of everything's going to come in this first point. The next two points are going to be very brief. Okay? But here, listen here's what I want to get across to you this morning. You are designed and you are put together in such a way that you are meant to find your identity outside of yourself. And only when you find your identity outside of yourself can your identity become unshakable. And consequently, your joy and your, and your peace and your happiness become unshakable and untouchable. And listen, only when you find your identity in something outside of you, right, outside of yourself, is that when you become set free in this life to struggle instead of your constant struggle in life to be free. And I'm, I'm going to show you this as we go. But what we're talking about here. Is absolutely countercultural, right? Everything around us is shouting at us all the time and saying to us that the only way to find happiness, joy, and contentment in life is by looking inside yourself, right? And Psalm 1 says to find true happiness, you have to find your nourishment, you have to find your life, you have to find your identity outside of you. In verse 3, the psalmist employs this great little metaphor here of a tree that's planted by streams of water, and that's what he's using to describe this blessed man or this man who's found true happiness. And the picture that he's using here is of a tree that's been uprooted from one place, and it's actually been planted by, transplanted to a stream of living water and planted there. No longer does this no longer is this tree's life dependent upon the ups and downs of the seasons and rain, uh whether it rains or not, right? It's planted by this stream so that its roots receive this constant nourishment. Um, and though this is the environment that you would assume that all trees would like to be in, where they would flourish, I think you've probably noticed that trees are not often uprooting themselves and going in search of water and planting themselves by streams of water, right? This tree is dependent on someone outside of it to come and dig up its roots and pick it up and transplant it by the stream of water. Now listen, here's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone whose life has been interrupted by someone from the outside and planted in grace. A Christian is someone who finds life, not by looking inside themselves, not by looking within, but who finds life by looking outside of themselves. When I was growing up as a kid, we… Um, we tried to employ a certain psycho- psychology on the playground that in the end didn't prove to be all that effective. Um, we would say to the bully on the playground, and I'm sure some of you said this before too, we would say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Um, and then we grew up and we realized what a lie that was, right? Um, because the truth is really a lot closer to the fact that sticks and stones may break my bones and my bones will heal. But words spoken to me from the outside, or spoken about me from the outside, those words have a whole other power. They have a power to kill me. They have a power to destroy me. They echo in my life for years and years after bones have healed." Just the other day, uh, Friday, Jennifer and I had had a little date night, and while we're driving, we listened to this great little podcast about this girl who was bullied at her all-girls prep school in Montreal. And um, she was interviewed 30 years later, and she was wondering how different her life might have been if on this one particular day in her story she happened to answer the door at her house and confront those bullies. It was a fascinating interview because she, she saw that her whole life, right, everything that she did in life and what determined her life was a result of those words that were spoken to her when she was a 14-year-old girl 30 years ago. And listen, we're no different Words from the outside, whether they are spoken to us from friends or bullies on the playground or parents or a boss or whoever, they have the power to shape us and harm us. Many of us in this very room, we are 30 or 40 years removed from those words, and they are still shaping us, and they are lingering in our lives in the form of shame and insecurity and resentment and bitterness and fear and anxiety. Words from the outside have a power to shape us. And our culture's response has been to tell us that you need to look within to find your true value, that you need to look within to find your true beauty, that you need to look inside to find your life and happiness. But if you are made and put together in such a way that you are meant to find your identity outside of yourself, then that will never work. And it's why you can tell yourself a thousand times a day, I'm wonderful, I'm great, I'm enough, I'm pretty, whatever your thing is, right? But one person can come along whose opinion you value, whether that be a spouse or a friend or a boss, and they can say to you one time, you are a crushing disappointment. You are not enough. You are ugly. And in the blink of an eye, your thousand self-affirmations vanish like the wind, or with the wind. And the question I want to ask is, what if your life could be interrupted by someone from the outside? What if that someone's opinion of you truly mattered, ultimately mattered? And what if you could actually trust that voice? And what if that voice proclaimed with certainty? Not that you are ugly, or that you're not enough, but that you're a treasure, and that you're beautiful, and that you're loved, and that you're enough. Words like that, I would put it to you, could wash over you like streams of living water. And they could undo all kinds of brokenness in your life if you could get those words. If you had those words spoken to you from the outside, your identity could become untouchable by life circumstances. You wouldn't have to be so defensive about everything, right? You could hear criticism in your life without being crushed by it. You could be praised without becoming arrogant. You could stop using and manipulating others to prop up your fragile self-image and actually start loving people and serving others for them, not for you. Rooted and nourished, stable. I mean, that's what the blessed man is, is what Psalm 1 is saying. But the wicked Psalm 1 says, in verse 4, they're like chaff, right? They're blown by the wind. They they can't stand in the judgment, verse 5. If words of grace and assurance and love were nourishing the very roots of your life, the core of who you are, you would become unshakable, right? And what's more, you would finally be free in this life to struggle instead of your constant struggle in life to get free or to be free. Several years ago, I saw this interview with a basketball hall of famer named Bill Russell, um, and he was one of the greats. Played on back-to-back high school state championships and then went to college and played on back-to-back college championship teams. And then he made it to the NBA where he managed to play on 11 NBA championship teams. So not enough fingers for the rings, right? He was 12 times an NBA All-Star. Five times he was voted as the league MVP. He had He had other awards given to him. He had a lot, is my point. Um, But he was being interviewed because he had received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Um, And if you were watching this interview, you you would have thought this too because it was very obvious that of all the honors he had received in life, this one meant more to him than all the others. And so the interview asked him if this indeed was the greatest honor of his life compared to all these other honors and i wrote down what he said he said no he said it's a close second though and then he said this <clears throat> he was about 75 or 76 year old or 76 when my father said to me one day you know i'm proud of you and i'm proud that you're my son and i'm just as proud that i'm your father And Bill Russell said, you can never top that. The unbelievable power of words spoken to us from the outside, words of approval and delight and love and acceptance. And I wonder if you can be honest for a moment with yourself that you are desperate for words like that in your life. Listen, Jesus heard words like that. When he was baptized in the Jordan River, you remember this scene, right? When heaven itself was ripped open, and there was this dove descending on him, and his father was just beaming in delight over his son. It was a father doting over his child, and they and you heard this voice from heaven: "This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased." If we could get those words said about us, we would know true happiness. We would know ultimate fulfillment. We would know deep and abiding joy and peace in our lives. See, most of us spend all our energy struggling to get those words, right? And we try to earn them from our spouses, and we try to get them by being the perfect parent, or we try to chase those words and all our achievements in our careers or in the approval of others, you know what we're doing? We're struggling to be free. If we could just get that, if we could just earn that, if we could just achieve that, then we would be free. But to have your life interrupted from the outside to find yourself planted by grace is to become aware that jesus lived and died for you so that god himself could say those very same words to you because in jesus he looks at you and he says this is my son this is my daughter whom i love with him with her i am well pleased Your identity is in Jesus, and therefore it becomes untouchable by any of life's circumstances. And you no longer have to struggle to be free. You are now free to struggle, fully loved, entirely accepted, right? Free to struggle to become what and who you are meant to be in Jesus. To find true happiness in this life, you have to be nourished by a source outside of you. Okay, second Let's move on. And these next two points will come quicker. You find this true happiness, second, when you are captivated by a story of ultimate beauty. Verse 2 tells, tells us this about the blessed man. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. You know, for many of us, we, we see that word law, and immediately we, we think rules, rules. Um, But the Bible often uses that word law in a much broader sense uh, than just talking about God's commandments, to talk about the whole story. Of God's revelation, the whole story of the Bible. And that's exactly what I think is happening here. See, the psalmist isn't saying, blessed is the man who loves rules. Um, there are many of you in this room who love rules and you're not happy. Um, makes you miserable, in fact. Um, but listen, he, he, what he's saying is, he's saying the happy man, the happy woman is captivated by the story of the Bible, by God's story of redemption, captivated by a story of ultimate beauty. Some of you have heard me say stuff like this before. It's based on something I once read in, uh, from G.K. Chesterton. Um, Chesterton writes about how there is this story underneath all of our fairy tales. And so he wrote that there is the lesson of beauty and the beast, that a thing must be loved… Before it is to become lovable, there is the terrible allegory he writes of the Sleeping Beauty, which tells how the human creature was blessed with all birthday gifts, yet cursed with death, and how death also may perhaps be softened to a sleep. And we we watch a lot of Disney in my house. Got little kids. Um, and there is a reason fairy tales like this last. There's a reason Beauty and the Beast is still breaking records, right, uh, in theaters. We cannot get away from these stories because they are touching on ultimate beauty. They're touching on truth, right? Beauty and the Beast, sleeping beauty, the hope that poor mistreated cinder girls could one day become Cinderella's right, that frozen hard hearts could really be thawed by sacrificial offering and love. A lot of Disney at my house, right? Tolkien wrote this, "...the Gospels contain a fairy story, or a story of a larger kind which embraces all the essences of fairy tales." Chesterton and Tolkien, they were saying the same thing. The gospel isn't one more fairy tale in a list of fairy tales. What they're saying is that the gospel is the ultimate beauty to which every fairy tale points. It's all pointing to this ultimate beauty of the gospel. But here's my question for you in this point. What does it mean to be captivated to be captivated by this ultimate beauty because it's more than just knowing the facts of God's story of redemption, right? It's having the story capture your imagination, the imagination of your heart. It's moving beyond information towards true delight. Listen, when I was in college, I was a, a biology major, and I learned very, very quickly that you do not have to be smart at all to be a biology major, because I wasn't. But what you had to be able to do was memorize a lot of facts and just cram your, your head with information, right? And, and So that you could regurgitate it on an exam at some point in the future. And truth like that... There's a reason I'm not working in the biology profession, right? It doesn't transform you. It doesn't change you, right? It, 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 do, it, it doesn't fill you with joy and delight. Truth that changes you is truth that makes its way into your heart because it is beautiful and because it captures your imagination. See, verse 2 tells us that the blessed man delights and meditates on God's Word day and night. To meditate is to reflect deeply, right? It is to let the truth engage your imagination, to ponder how can I get in line with that beauty. It's to ask the question, how would my life be different if I really believed that? I mean, how would it change me to know that the Bible is a story of God's never giving up, never stopping, and unfailing love for me? I mean, how would it change me to know that God orchestrated all of history in order that He would send His Son to die for me? How would it change me to know that I really am free, that all of my sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven at the cross? What does it mean that my heart can be thawed by sacrificial love? What does it mean that I'm loved before I become lovable? To truly be changed, to find true happiness, this ultimate story, it has to be worked in, and it has to be kneaded into the deepest and darkest corners of your heart. The preacher G. Campbell Morgan uh, he once told this story about how he went to I think it was somewhere in Italy went to visit this old grave site of an incredibly wealthy man and he went there and his grave this man's grave was marked by this huge several feet thick marble slab but um, but that giant slab he wrote it had been cracked in half over time and rolled off the grave how did it happen? One little acorn had fallen into that grave, into that deep, dark soil, right? And over time, it sprouted and grew, and it found its way out on an edge. And as it grew bigger and bigger, it eventually, over time, cracked that marble slab and rolled it off the grave Listen, for, ultimate, for the, the ultimate beauty of the gospel to change you, for it to change you from the inside out to give you the deep happiness and joy you long for, it has to be worked deep into your heart. It has to be taken deep down into the dark corners of your heart, down into those places where you are thinking even right now, and you will think this week, if I could just be this, then I would have, be happy. If I could just get this, if I could just achieve that, then I would be fulfilled. All of those places, that's where the gospel needs to be worked down. And when the ultimate beauty of the gospel gets that deep, it will begin to crack the thick, hard slab that's covering your heart. And you will find your way to true and deep happiness in the gospel. Okay, finally, very briefly, last point. You find true happiness by making a choice. For all that Psalm 1 says... It's really saying you have to make a choice, right? And I wonder if you see that in the psalm. The psalmist is saying here, there are only two options available to you. You are either like the blessed man or you are like the wicked man. There is not a third option. To not choose is to choose, You have to make a choice. This is how the psalm begins. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. There's a lot that we can say about this verse. It's about the progressive nature of sin and the hardening nature of of sin on the heart. But it's really saying this. It's saying the blessed man, the happy man, he makes a choice. He turns to follow God in faith and obedience Right? He turns away from all his other functional lords and saviors in his life to the one lord and savior who can give him an unshakable identity. He intentionally makes a choice to meditate and delight on God's story of redemption. Now, do you realize this about Jesus? That if you were to, re- when you read through the gospels, I want you to look for this, that Jesus, he is always pushing people to make a choice. He's always pushing people off the fence. No one ever interacts with Jesus and just says, nice sermon, preacher, and then goes away and forgets about it, right? And just, dis- no one just dismisses him, right? He's constantly pushing people. He's constantly saying to people, you can love me or hate me, right? You can worship me or reject me. You can follow me or kill me, but the one thing you cannot do. Is be indifferent to me. There is no third option. Now, there is, of course, in the Gospels, there's the famous story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well, right? And from a conversation about water in a well, Jesus kept pushing, kept confronting, right? What was he doing? He was pushing her off the fence. Do you see the emptiness of your life? He was asking. Do you realize how thirsty you really are? He was asking. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband at all. You're searching for life, he was saying. You're searching for happiness. You're searching for fulfillment. Don't you see? Deep within you, you have a desire which no experience in this world can ever satisfy. You've been searching, but you have not found what you're looking for. You have to make a choice. You can either keep coming back to this well and stay thirsty, Jesus was saying, or I can give you water, living water, streams of living water that you can draw on and never be thirsty again. Now, how is it that Jesus can make that offer to her? And how is it that he can make that offer to you today? It's because on the cross, don't you remember, he was so, so very thirsty. And Isaiah tells us He was poured out like a drink offering. On the cross, He became sin. He became chaff and was blown away by the judgment of His Father. And the gospel is saying He did all of that for you so that you would never need thirst again, so that you could have an untouchable identity in Him, so that you could forever delight in God's story of redemption that will change you from the inside out. Are you the blessed man, the blessed woman? Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you each week that you have given us your word and that your word is a light unto our path. Uh, Father, we pray that we would... See by faith how that path leads us to Jesus and to the living water that is found in Him. Father, we pray that you would help us to be the blessed man, blessed woman of Psalm 1, that you would interrupt our lives by your grace, that you would plant us and nourish us in the good news of the gospel, and that it would change us from the inside out. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.